Hi there, I hope you're well and you've had the best possible Christmas or New Year that any local or national restrictions allow you to. We are now in to season two of the Think Curiously podcast and what an episode I have for you to kick things off. This week I am joined by Casey Moultrie, an ex-college basketball player turned businessman now living in Portland, Oregon. Casey has a drive and a commitment for improvement like no one I have ever spoken to before. We talk at great lengths about his understanding of competitive greatness and what it means to be relentless in the pursuit of excellence. Before we jump onto the podcast, it is worth noting that his eldest daughter Olivia became the youngest professional female soccer player in US women's soccer history when she signed a deal for Portland Thorns when aged just 13. Now that in itself is a magnificent achievement. But more than that, at age 11, she became the youngest player to commit to a college team and accept a scholarship. Two fantastic achievements, and as we go throughout the podcast, Casey does refer back and forward to them, so I'm not going to get into too much information around them right now. What you hear in this episode far surpasses the world of sport. It emanates through all corners of life, so you don't have to be a football coach, you don't have to be interested in basketball to get anything from it. Strap yourself in, get the notepad and pen at the ready, and immerse yourself in this episode of the Think Curiously podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast. I'm delighted this week to be joined by someone who I met, what, about two days ago, I think, over a Zoom call. Uh, but we're connected and we're thankful that we've got a common friend in Joe Smith, who's able to get us uh, connected together for the call today. So, Casey, welcome along. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. It's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a two-day a two day friendship in many ways that we've only really known each other through your introduction from Joe. But we're going to speak today about um, your career, particularly your basketball experience at college and um, this idea of competitive greatness, potentially touch on things like relentlessness and what it takes to basically push ourselves so that we can t- continually be our best. And I'm sure you've got some interesting stories to tell us. But before we get into it, why don't you give the listeners a little insight into who you are and where you're from? Sure. Thanks, Gary. So my name is Casey Moultrie. Um, I am from the States, uh, originally born in Utah. Um, I now live in Oregon, uh, up near Portland with my family. And yeah, I, I think it's interesting how we did come to meet each other. And obviously with some common interests um, and with our common friend in Joe, him and I, because he is the coach for my daughter, we obviously have developed a, a very close relationship and speak a lot. It's been interesting because obviously he's a football man and my oldest is the, the youngest professional female player in the United States history. And so there was a natural um, interest between both of us, you know, me, because I appreciated somebody who was about the game the way he was and him, because obviously he knew of and was interested in my daughter. So obviously we got to know each other. He got to know about me, what I valued, maybe some of why Olivia is the way she is. Um, me getting to understand, you know, what he valued and, and then obviously leading to, to us meeting and now being able to talk. So uh, yeah, it's a, uh, I've got some interesting thoughts and perspective, I think on competition, just uh, based on my own personal experience. And then obviously based on, you know, what my oldest daughter is is currently doing and what she's accomplished so far. So yeah, really looking forward to the conversation. 
Yeah, so if we if we just take it back a little bit uh, and we just start off from your own st- your own sporting career, where it started and really how it blossomed to get to the level that it went to. Sure. So I, and this may not make as much sense. I'm trying to think of like what the like European equivalent would be to, uh, you know, we joke around in America, like small white guy that plays basketball. And basically what we're referring to in that case is just like an underdog, essentially a basketball is obviously, you know, in the United States, a sport of big men and athletic men, predominantly African-American. Um, and so you just don't have that many you know, kind of quote unquote, six foot white guys that play the sport. But I grew up just with uh, just an extreme love of basketball. I loved it. It's all I wanted to do. And as I got older, um, I had goals for myself. And one of those goals was to be a college basketball player, maybe even a professional. And, you know, by the time I got to 12 or 13, obviously I came to the pretty quick realization that I was going to have to have a different mindset to accomplish this goal. Um, you know, I wasn't in a big city. I wasn't around uh, like demographically what you consider to be elite basketball players. But my goal was to play and be at that level. And so it was just obvious to me that I had to be unique in my skill level, in my mindset, in my toughness, which I think encompasses a lot of different areas, which we can get into. Um, And just, you know, my ability to compete. I feel like I developed a very, very unique ability to compete at an ultra high level in attempting to accomplish my goals. So, you know, long story short, went to high school in Utah, you know, was consistently seeking out competition. I mean, like, that's all I did. Where are college guys playing? Where can I go play with, you know, real basketball players? Where can I find guys that have played at a high level and and just consistently seeking that out, but never just to do it, but wanting to to dominate it and be the best at it and and do it at a very high level. And I just relentlessly seek that out, you know, really my entire youth. What that eventually led to was me being a college basketball player and getting a college scholarship at Montana state, you know, university of Northern, which was for me, a great accomplishment. Um, you know, from the school where I'm from, I think I was like the first kid in 10 or 12 years that, you know, got a full scholarship, a full basketball scholarship, you know? And so it was a great accomplishment for me. It obviously kicked off a lot of, uh, like a chain of events in my life that really paid dividends just based on that. I was, you know, a scholarship athlete and that I did play basketball at that level. Um, and then in the end, I really think it's just been a, a great benefit, you know, for me as a father, because I do have, you know, three uh, pretty promising athletic daughters uh, and specifically with my oldest too, like I mentioned, is the, you know, the youngest pro in, in U.S. history in football. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a unique path um, and I kind of have a unique way of looking at the world, but as an underdog, it benefited me. And, you know, maybe as the opposite of an underdog, Olivia, who is, you know, kind of the top of the heap athletically and opportunity wise and everything, I think it's benefited her as well. So what, what I like about that, what you just talked about there, your story is that there seems to be a lot of you've talked about sort of the mental toughness. You've talked about you seeking out competition where the best playing because I want to play against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also along with that a kind of a willingness to be the very best you can be. Where did that kind of mindset come from? Because 
I mean, I would struggle to think of any of the kids I coach at a younger age group thinking that that's the target they want to achieve and then they go with it. Because as you said, it's quite a unique mindset to have. Did it come up from parents? Did it come up from the community that you grew up in? So that's what's interesting, Gary. Neither. My parents, didn't. they, they weren't athletes. I mean, they, they didn't really have parents that, that knew what they were doing. And so they just kind of similarly didn't, they didn't play club sports. They didn't play high school sports. Um, I always just had that mentality. I always, I don't know, from a very young age, like I was always measuring myself up against, you know, whoever I, I, I walked in the gym with or the room with or the class with, it, it didn't really matter. And, you know, for me, it all took place in small steps. So on, on the elementary school, you know, playground, I, I wanted to be the best. I, I was interested. Am I the best fourth grader? Are my the best kid in the school? And then going to junior high, you know, are my the best seventh grader? And then are my the best player on this team? And then that went on to high school. And, you know, I, I think it was because I was so interested in excellence that that became my mindset. Um, a big uh, part of how I think about sport, I think it is, is through the lens of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was a huge influence for me growing up. And now, now obviously, uh, you know, getting back to the, the earlier part, uh, physically and, and all that, I was never going to be Michael Jordan, but I felt like I had the exact same mindset because I trained myself to, and I wanted to, and I felt like I competed like that. And so I've had this conversation with my family a million times. Like, where did that come from? It, Cause it wasn't from them. And it certainly wasn't from my environment because, you know, I didn't grow up in an elite athletic environment. I didn't grow up in an elite athletic community. Um, but I was never okay with just being there. I always wanted to be great. I always wanted to be excellent at what I did. Um, and so, you know, I think it was just my curiosity in excellence and where I was seeking out my examples. And I guess in some way or at some time that just kind of transferred into how I felt about, about competing and about what I wanted for myself. So that, that search for excellence um, is, is a term that I came across or that's what I should say I've come across before in some of the psychology books in sport, um, mainly concerned around this idea of trying to achieve, or should I say, trying to be the very best you can be when being your best is needed. And right. that's, it's something that John Wooden, the UCLA basketball coach has in the middle of, or sorry, at the very top Pyramid of, of success. Yes, yeah. that's the very Competitive one. Competitive greatness. Exactly. Yeah. I, that's what, it. Look at this. Gary, I'm, I'm holding up the pyramid <laughs> of success right now. I, I'm a big, big believer in, in that, um, in the theology of John Wooden. I, I'm a big, big fan. So. I'm glad to hear that because uh, it's, he's somebody who I've read about for quite some time and a friend of mine. John Mack, um, him and I done an episode on the podcast, episode two. We discussed the life lessons of, of John Wooden and it has, it's blown up in many ways. The episode is our most listened to episode so far, but we're getting a lot of people from outside sport. Teachers, for example, are taking his seven point creed and putting it on the wall and talking to their kids about they, it. You know, They should. They should. It's, it's a universal um, ideology around success, I think. I don't think it has to only be used. It's certainly not only in basketball. And I, and to your point, I don't even think only in sport. I think that, you know, those ideas, like, like, let's say, I don't know, like you said, like you're a teacher, there still comes a moment when you have to be your best. Mm. 
doesn't matter what you do, you know, Gary, the podcast host, like there, you want to be your best when you're actually, you know, on air. And so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in, in the thought process behind John Wooden. I, I don't think his success was an accident. I, I really don't. Yeah. And do you, was, was John Wooden's, um, theology, I suppose, something that you came to during your playing career or, or was it after yeah, the career? Yeah. During my playing career. And again, like I was always just so curious about excellence. So, you know, when I was young, it was all basketball excellence. So Michael Jordan, um, you know, John Wooden, uh, just you name the great, you know, the, the Celtics dynasties, um, you know, whatever great basketball, you know, excellent example I had, um, I, I, I was all about it as I've gotten older. And certainly as I'm, as I'm raising daughters and a family and now have become inundated with football. I mean, that's just what we do, you know, in many ways, um, my scope of interest in excellence is really broadened, like broadened to the point of like, I want to know everything about why Messi is Messi and why Ronaldo is Ronaldo and why Serena Williams is Serena Williams. I've become even more interested, you know, in John Wooden and why did he think the way he thinks Mike Krzyzewski, um, you know, Zidane, like, I, I mean, like this stuff, I'm obsessed with it because I want to make sure that there is nothing, nothing that no stone is unturned in regards to Olivia. I don't want ever at any point us to get to a, a, a place. And I'm like, damn, like I, I should have known that I should have figured that out. I should have taught her that lesson. She should know that. Like I I've essentially dedicated my life over the last 10 years to ensuring that whatever is possible and whatever example is out there and whatever piece of information is valuable that I know it and I learn it and I help Olivia learn it um, so that she can have literally every opportunity for success. Now, somebody hearing that may think, oh, this guy's a whack job. Like, that's crazy. But if you met Olivia, you would know how different she is and you would know how unique her mindset is. And I think you would meet her for 10 minutes and you would say to yourself, that kid can be what she wants to be. And if you were her father and you knew that and you felt that way, you too, I think most people would go, you know, to the ends of the earth to make sure that you had every valuable piece of information you could have. And so I would say in some ways, and I know this is a long-winded question. I mean, we were just talking about John Wooden, but in some ways, I've dedicated my life to this idea of, of excellence and competitive greatness and what it takes to reach, you know, the, the, the very pinnacle of what you're trying to do and be obviously as a basketball player, I didn't do that in terms of a worldview. I think I did it for me. I think I, I think I probably capped myself out in terms of what I was capable of. And I'm proud of that. Um, I think my daughter is capable someday of being the best female player in the world. And so we're talking about a very different scale um, for her than me. And so my passion and desire to understand has grown, you know, dramatically because I feel like the stakes are so much higher. And so from when I was an athlete to now, it's just been this steady progression of, you know, how do I figure this stuff out at the highest level? So 
I guess there's a lot of things wrapped up in that, but from what I'm taking anyway, in terms of understanding what excellence means to you, it's kind of understanding what the process is to A, be your very best you can be, and also more than understanding the process, it's about not leaving any stone unturned during that process so that you can't look back and say, I should have done this or I should have done that. That's exactly right. So for us, you could encapsulate it in, I don't want any regret. No, no regret. I, I don't ever want to get to a point, you know, with Olivia's career or, or with my other two daughters who, who are, are promising in their own right. I don't know if they will ever, you know, be or have the options or opportunity that Olivia does. But it's just, I don't ever want to get to a point where I think, dang, like we should have or we could have. I want literally to be able to look back and say, regardless of what the outcome is, we literally did everything in our power to give you the greatest opportunity to succeed at what mattered to you. So obviously there's a, there's a constant curiosity with that. Secondarily, there's a constant uh, seeking for competition. Thirdly, there's a relentless nature to the work. Um, and then relating back to the first one, it's just like, I think, I think smart people everywhere. And I think a, competitive athletes everywhere understand that there is a very unique level of mental toughness that goes into truly being the best. I I mean, I don't think that's a secret. There's no secret. You know, we're all impressed with Ronaldo's mindset, whether you like Ronaldo or not, we're all impressed with his mindset. You can hate him. And I kind of do. I'm a messy guy, but I'm, I'm amazed by his mindset. I'm amazed by Jordan's mindset, you know, and, and, obviously that has to be special and has to be unique. So it, it all kind of wraps up in the package of what I think, you know, equals excellence, if you will. So, Yeah. There's, um, there's a, a psychologist, Angela Duckworth, who talks about this idea of grit and she would define grit as being a passion and perseverance directed towards long-term achievement with mm-hmm. the exclusion of external rewards. So it's not the very fact that, I'm going to, for example, study as hard as I can for this exam because I want an A. No, the person thinks I'm going to study as hard as I can for as long as I can so that eventually this has an impact on my career. Just like in sport, where rather than training from a Monday to Friday, putting everything on the line just for that game at the weekend, you know you understand that every bit of training you do that week will not only serve you well in the game at the weekend, but will serve you well in games to come in the future on down the line not not under no question no question you're talking about why do people why do the best of the best work the way they work you know why does why my whole life did winning a three-on-three pickup game at the park matter as much as a competitive moment i don't know because it just did you know uh we we have built a a pitch here at the at the house for olivia it's about 150 feet by 100 feet like turf pitch that, that we built and she'll have, you know, some of the, the boys over from the Academy to play pickup. It, it matters, you know, it matters. And she wants to win and she's ultra competitive and she's ultra upset, you know, when she doesn't win. And uh, that reminds me a lot of myself. I think she's probably gotten that from me. And I think that feeds right into what you're talking about. Like, however you want to describe that elite competitiveness, grit, uh, understanding that the work you put in really is for a, for a greater goal every day. Um, nobody that's great only plays good when the chips are on the line. But 
And the reason they don't is because you have to practice that. You can't just go through the motions and then be amazing when it matters most. You have to practice caring. You have to practice winning. You have to practice competing. And it has to be a part of who you are every day, all the time. And if it is, then when you're in that moment that really matters, that's high leverage, it's not foreign to you. You've always been competing. Winning's always mattered to you. So, so why would I get nervous in a moment that, that, that is really important when I experienced that feeling a thousand times? And I think that's the idea. Nobody that's really good at anything only cares, you know, here and there. I think people that are really, really excellent, they care about being excellent all the time. I, I really, really believe that. Um, I'll give you a reference. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Jay Billis? So Jay Billis was a guy who played college basketball at Duke under Mike Krzyzewski. He has written a book called Toughness. Um, and in the book, he has uh, a, a billion stories uh, describing toughness and how it's not just physical, I'll fight you tough. That's part of it. But all the, the mental components of what real toughness is and what real tough people do. Uh, and, you know, similar to your reference, similar to Jay Billis. Um, I just think that, like, that's, that's the name of the game, man. Like, you, you can't just care sometimes if you really want to be great at something. Like, you got to care all the time. Yeah, there would be a lot of, of research and a lot of athletes, you say, would concur with that. You get it on YouTube and no matter where you look at the very best. And I would be a fan of Ronaldo. I know you're a Messi fan, but we'll not fall out over that. <laughs> but, <laughs> we better not start on that. I know. Well, I totally understand what you mean in terms of his mindset. Cause I think Ronaldo is one of those athletes where you can physically see his mindset in action. If that makes sense. hundred percent. hundred percent. I think he, he lets us into that world a little bit. Right. So, and, and then you hear the stories like who's the first guy to the training ground. It's Ronaldo. Who's the last guy to leave when he goes home. What is he doing? What does he put into his body? I think that being the best is not about, you know, just when he gets to the facility. I think for Ronaldo, being the best is an everyday, all day process. He, he lives being the best. He doesn't just be the best when he has to play. He lives it. Everything he does is about being the best. And I have tremendous respect for that. And on a much smaller scale, I have tremendous respect for Olivia for that very reason, because though she's not the top of her sport yet, and though she hasn't even made her professional debut yet, um, she lives being the best. She wakes up and goes throughout her day, and that is all that matters. What am I doing to be the best? And I think to myself, like, man, if if I would have had the resources or the understanding of some of these things as an athlete, like, I, I wonder what, what, what would have been, you know, what could have happened. And so I feel in a lot of ways, like Olivia has this humongous advantage because of the way that I think I understand competition. Now, now I will say this, I could, I could, I could, let's just say I'm an expert in competition, whether I am or not, let's, let's, for this example, say that I am. And, and Olivia just mentally just wasn't that kid didn't have that ability to walk in and focus and, 
and just have that internal burning desire to be what she is. I, I don't think it would matter. And I don't think it would help. But I think the combination of me and my life experiences and how I think about and understand competition in combination with this kid who just is just unique, just her focus and her fire and her mind is unique. I think the combination of those two things just allows her, you know, similar to to Ronaldo, again, much smaller scale. There's so much to accomplish for Liv, but she lives that life. You know, and I think very, very, very few, if any, 15-year-olds and even fewer 15-year-old females are living that life where it's an all-day, everyday pursuit of being the very top of their sport. So just take us back in time, if you will, then just to your college basketball days, because all of what you've just spoken about, I presume you have experienced in some respect while living as a college sporting athlete, because you know, from, from our perspective in Europe, maybe not, not a lot of people understand the prestige that comes with playing college basketball or maybe yeah. understand the commitment as well that comes to playing. Because it's not just show up and play for a few sessions a week, is it? It's a lifestyle. Oh, 1,000%. I mean, it's, it's, I think being a college athlete and particularly being a scholarship athlete, because though you don't get paid, I mean, you are getting paid because, you know, you get your school paid for, you get living paid for, you get your books paid for, you get an extra stipend to live. Like I lived good during that time. And I think, you know, college basketball in the States, I think would be almost like, you know, a young professional in Europe, in their sport. It would be like, you know, you kind of have made it and you do it until you're 22. And then it kind of, you know, caps out or whatever. Um, but it's very, very difficult to get a college scholarship. Um, I think that it's something like 2% of high school basketball players in the United States actually get, you know, full college scholarships to play basketball. So it's a very small percentage of players. Um, and yeah, once you're there, um, they are paying for you to go to school so you can help their team win. So it's, yeah, I mean, the only things that I did for four years was go to school and try to become the best basketball player that I could become, you know, and, you know, we had everything from, you know, 6 a.m., you know, weightlifting sessions, you know, team meeting, then you go to school or class, then you practice, and then we would have, you know, further like film review. Um, and then I would get back in the gym and get shots or play two on two or one on one with whoever I could find to play. Um, and so, yeah, it was in a way that, that it's also a lifestyle. I think any professional, a professional in Europe, a professional in the United States or a college athlete in the United States, you, you do live the lifestyle of, of what you're doing, you know, the sport you're playing. But Gary, I do think there is a huge differentiation between, yeah, I, I, I'm doing everything that is required of me by my team or by my club. And no, I'm, I'm going so far above and beyond what everybody else is doing so that I can excel and truly be great. Um, and in my world, that's what I tried to do. You know, obviously I, I, I was in the gym, you know, every single night. I was in the gym in between classes every single day, uh, just getting shots, looking for guys to play, um, just wanting to be the best I could be and striving for that. You know, now I didn't have this, you know, advanced knowledge that I have now 
um, of how to best take care of my body, what I was eating, you know, anything beyond a very basic strength and conditioning program. Um, I certainly didn't get exposed to the opportunity, you know, that I've been able to, to help Olivia navigate. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, you, you are living in that world, but I don't think I understood. And I did the best I could. I did the best with what I knew how I outworked everybody. I truly feel that way, but I don't feel like I had this knowledge that I have now about all these things that are possible to achieve like real greatness. And a lot of that is about understanding, you know, the grand scope of, of what you want to accomplish and, and what opportunities you need to seek out, I think. So yeah, interestingly, you know, when you speak there about the difference between doing what's expected of you and then doing everything you can do to be the very best that you can be, that's a very mm-hmm. interesting statement to make because when you get to that college level, that that and you're playing the sport that you love and you're getting as you said not directly paid for it but the 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 money that's going into you being there is essentially paying you then there can 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 there not be a bit of pressure on your shoulders to a perform in sport and b perform academically and can that sort of not weigh on your shoulders heavy or is that not something you think about it's just purely be the best i can be it, 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 yeah, I, I, it hurts a lot of guys. I mean, I played with a number of guys who just couldn't handle the pressure of what was expected. You know, there are a lot. I mean, it's not a it's not a perfect science. Schools offer, you know, kids all the time. They offer scholarships and it doesn't work out. They're not as good of players as they thought. They don't work as hard as they thought. Um, you know, they, they don't perform in school. Um, you have to, it's a balancing act to be a collegiate athlete in the States because, you know, you obviously have to maintain your, your school. If you, if you, if you get below a certain level in your grades, you're ineligible to play. So your school matters. You have to, you know, be very, very organized and you can't procrastinate because there's a lot coming at you. And then on the, on the court or the athletic field, I mean, obviously there's an expectation to your, to your point there, they're essentially paying you to come to their school to help them win and to be excellent. So, you know, for some people that felt like that was like the pinnacle, I think if, if that, if that was the most important thing in the world, then it felt like a lot of pressure. You know, for me, I, I kind of always thought one step beyond, I, I, I knew I could do that. I knew I could just help a team win. I wanted to be great. I wanted to be all conference. I wanted to be all American you know, I had um, a desire to be a professional. So I was really always thinking beyond the pressure of the moment because I was putting more pressure on myself to be excellent than anybody ever could have put on me to just, um, you know, be good enough to, to, to earn what they were giving me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I'd be interested to know how you dealt with success then, because when, when you're so invested in that process of excellence, and we talked about competitive greatness, about this idea of being your very best, you can be every single day in the court, over that four-year duration, and, and even possibly before you got there, there might have been a moment in time where you've worked so hard and you've got a trophy, you've been, um, we call it man of the match over here, I'm not too sure what they call it in basketball, is it MVP? Or yeah, MVP, yeah, but yeah, player of the game or whatever. Right? There might have yeah. been a situation in your career up to that point where you've got that and all of that work now makes sense and it could be very easy for you to slip. So I'll be interested to understand how you sort of dealt with that, with success in many ways. 
So I, I never, I never had to deal with success. I always felt like the underdog, always. So when I was, uh, when I, so let's just like in high school, let's say I would have a twenty-five point game. I was just thinking like, okay, are are I getting noticed? Or am I going to get to college? You know, is somebody going to offer me a scholarship? Like, and, 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 and so I never felt like I succeeded. I was always thinking about the next thing. You know, I, I guess my only moments of feeling like I had succeeded are like at the, I, in college, I was a three-time all-conference player. So at the end of the year, when it's like Casey Moultrie, you've, you, you, you've been named to the all-conference team. I felt a sense of pride and success at that at the recognition of my excellence on the court. I felt pride when I got a college scholarship offer, you know, that was a feeling of success, but I never had to deal with the feeling of success because I was always just wanting to accomplish. So you're asking the wrong guy on that one. I think, I think, I think, you know, like, like Liv getting back to the example with her, it would be interesting to ask her that, you know, how do you deal with success? Cause her life has been nothing but, accomplish, accomplish, accomplish first, 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 you know, everybody telling her you're the best, you're the greatest, you know? So how does she maintain, you know, this desire to, you know, be the best, even when everybody's telling her that she is. And I think it just goes back to your earlier point here. It's competitive greatness. It's if you are truly invested in greatness, like you don't, people telling you you're the best is meaningless to you until you've accomplished every single one of your goals. So I think on a smaller scale, that's how I felt as I was playing. The the reason why I asked that question was because the understanding of relentlessness to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep trying to find what's next, to try and develop your strengths and also increase, you know, to, to make yourself a lot better in whatever area it is you find yourself no matter what comes your way, success or failure, there's that mindset, that headstrong. I have to look for the next point, the next point up the road to keep improving, to keep improving. And that's, I guess, where, where I was kind of come with that in terms of this understanding of the relentlessness that it takes to succeed in whatever you define success to be. Because sure. we did, again, we, we mentioned competitive greatness with John Wooden, but he would obviously say that competitive greatness for him is, is being the best you can be I think, is it being the best? You when can, your best is needed. Being yeah. the best when your best is needed. Which is pretty much every day, according to him. So, yeah. I mean, that relentlessness can, and you mentioned it earlier on, that mental toughness that it takes, because it can be quite mentally draining, surely. If everything you're doing is built up towards something that's going to happen maybe five years in the future, not essentially now, you know, you're working towards a goal that you can't actually see or touch at the minute, but you know is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. I think it can, but I'll be honest with you, Gary, like, for me as an athlete, I just, I was so locked in on what I was doing that I just didn't, I didn't think about that stuff. I always just, I've always said, if you get burned out, then, then maybe it's not for you. You know, if you're easily burned out, then maybe greatness isn't for you, or maybe you've chosen the wrong thing that you are trying to be great at because, you know, I'd never got burned out for one second of being a, of being a basketball player. Not one. Not one second that I not want to play if it was available to me. And, you know, I see that, you know, with my daughter as well. Like she's been doing this. She's been treating herself like a pro trying to be the best player in the world. since she's been seven years old. It's, it's, it's multiple times a day, every day of her life with no breaks ever. And not one time ever 
has she just been like, oh man, I don't want to do it. And I would credit some of that to just to what you said, like a relentless mindset. And I would credit some of it to a just strong will, a goal that is so much bigger than you, that you know that it's going to take an inordinate amount of work to accomplish. And you're so focused on that accomplishment that you don't have time to, you know, to think to yourself, I'm, I'm, I'm burnout. I'm bored. I don't want to do it anymore. That never came into my mind. And as far as I know, it's never come into the mind of Olivia. So those are the two, you know, athletic examples that I'm the closest to. Yeah. Throughout that full process, irrespective if it's in a career that's outside sport or inside sport, at some point there's going to be um, roadblocks put in your way. There's going to be something that maybe pushes you back a few steps. And then that mindset of, as we spoke about earlier on, competitive greatness and excellence pushes you and drives you forward. But would you say that your ability to overcome potential setbacks was part of the reason why at college level you were successful and potentially the reason why Olivia's now doing what she's doing? Oh my gosh, I, I, 100%. I, I mean, I don't care what level you're at, you know, we all view setbacks differently. You know, for Olivia, you know, it may be playing in a youth game and not scoring a goal you know, and, and that's, you know, she didn't live up to somebody's expectation in that moment. You know, for me, it was, you know, kind of constantly being told that I was younger, like, I don't know, you're not very big. You may not be good enough. You're not a big athletic guy, you know? And so I, I just, I, again, I, I go back to the relentless mindset, somebody who's truly relentless in trying to accomplish something great. I just think, you know, all obstacles are, is just, it's just something there. I never viewed obstacles as something that was going to stop me. And I know that we don't ever view an obstacle as something that's going to stop live. It's just part of the process. If you think you're going to, you know, climb a mountain to be excellent at something and you're going to just, you know, go like a straight 45 degrees up, you're not silly. That's silly. You know, I think that if you're not smart enough to go into your journey of excellence, recognizing and understanding that obstacles are just going to be part of it. And if you want something badly enough, then you just get past it, period. And I think for me as an athlete, you know, I had a, I had a million obstacles. You know, again, I just go back to, you know, the whole six foot white guy thing in, in basketball in America. You're, you're, you're not in a strong position. Trust me. Nobody looks at you like a basketball player, you know? And so it was constantly having to prove to people I was better than what they thought when I walked in the door. I spent my life like that, you know? Um, And for Liv, I think it's been constantly like living up to the hype. I mean, can you imagine being a kid ever since she's been nine years old and people saying, oh, that's the best kid I've ever seen. That's the best youth player in the world. So she's nine. You know, you don't think there's been times where, you know, she's had a game where she hasn't quote unquote lived up to the hype. Of course, a hundred times, you know, I mean, like, I just think if your goal is, your goal has got to be bigger than that. You know, um, have you ever read the book mindset by Carol Dweck? Uh, I'm a, yes, a huge fan. Unbelievable book. Right. And the, the point is, you know, that growth or fixed mindset, somebody with a fixed mindset, has a bad performance and they're like, Oh, am I not good? Like, Oh, maybe I'm not good enough. Somebody with a growth mindset is just like, Hey, 
What happened there? How can I learn from it? Let's keep moving. And that is 1000% how we approach life in the Moultrie household. You know, we never, ever, ever dwell on a bad performance. We evaluate, we, we learn, we fix, and we move forward. And that's it. And, and that's not me, you know, reading a book. That's just how we live life. And I think that book encapsulates much of how I feel about, you know, kind of striving for, for excellence. Yeah. Again, a hundred percent. I absolutely love uh, the Carl Dweck stuff. I've been preaching about it for so long and particularly in our sport, the, the coach education element of it, player education, it's not just there, but then nobody really understands it unless it's brought up in conversation and people's ears perk up and they want to know more about it. But what I also love about that and what you've just mentioned there in terms of having the roadblocks as part of the process in many ways is that that's exactly what it is. It's a process. It's not an end goal. It's not the fact that you let something that doesn't um, agree with your process or doesn't fall in line with what you want to ever stop you from getting forward, to stop you from moving to the next part of that journey. No doubt. And no doubt. It's not a linear process, right? It's not, it's not, it's not a straight line. You know that. I know that. I think, you know, people who are listening who have kind of really competed or been through the fire a little bit, they know that. Um, anybody that's competed has had bad things happen, has had losses, has had disappointment. Um, you know, there's no doubt. And there's also no doubt, Gary, like, like, like with your team, I'm sure that bad performance and losses affect some kids differently than they affect others. And I think it probably does come down to mindset in the end. Um, and in the case of me, it just came down to, I just had so much confidence in myself built up because I knew how hard I'd worked. So I, I, that's another, you know, kind of lesson that, that we've made really important with Olivia, your confidence is derived from your work. And if your confidence is so big and so great because you believe in yourself so much, you're just not going to allow yourself to be conquered by one bad moment. Mm -hmm. And so I think all those things go into just being able to, to get past, you know, a negative thing happening because as an athlete, negative things are going to happen a million times. It's just part of it. And that includes the very best. That includes Messi. That includes Ronaldo, everyone to ever do it, you know? And on the flip side of that, what I also think is quite interesting and, and for people to maybe under, not, not understand, but have a, I suppose, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Not an understanding, but a, an appreciation is the word I was looking for. An appreciation that the flip side of that whole process in terms of the knockbacks and looking at the failures is the fact that the work that's put in, in the background is hard. It's laborious. At times it can be done at, more, at times in the morning, nobody's even awake. At times at night when people are sleeping, you are putting work in at, that nobody is seeing, but yet at, all they see is the end product, right? They just see you go That's on, right. or they go onto the court, or you onto the, or sorry, live into the pitch, or you onto the court and perform. Nobody sees what's put in the background. No question. No question. But that's not a secret, right? We know that that is the case for people who are great at their sport everywhere. Um, and in the case of, of, of how I look at it, I think that in terms of skill development, 
and in terms of performance with with your body, making your body as 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 performance ready as possible. Obviously, so much goes into being great that is you know, behind closed doors. And like you say, in the morning before anybody wakes up and at night after people have gone to sleep, that's part of a, that relentless approach. But I think what people don't talk about enough is, is that it is the confidence derived from that. Because when I stepped on the court, I felt like I deserved success. I felt like I could look across at the guy that I was playing against and know I had outworked him. I knew it. It wasn't a question. I wasn't guessing. I wasn't hoping. I knew it. So I felt like I deserved to kill that guy. I deserved to be the best guy every time I stepped out there because I had earned that. And I know it's that way with Olivia. She earns it every day. And so is her body stronger and fitter because of the work she does? Sure. Is she more skilled because of the extra work she's done her whole life? Obviously. But what you can't account for is this unshakable confidence that you derive from the work that you put in. And the only way that you can truly have that elite level confidence is to feel like you you can't outwork me. You can't do more than me, you know? And there's very few people in the world that can do that every single day. Very, very few. A lot of people can do it for a week or a month or even a season. Man, to go through that process every day of your life, like, that's, that's, that's rare. I think we could both agree to that. So. I suppose for me, as we come towards the end of the, the episode and the time is running out on us, everything we've talked about there in terms of competitive greatness, in terms of relentlessness, mindset, accepting that there will be roadblocks in the way, but they are part of the process. Mm-hmm. And as you've just mentioned there, the work that goes in the background to bring the confidence so you step on the court and you know with absolute certainty that nobody else in this court has put in the work that I've put in. And that allows you to essentially get to that level of competitive greatness that you've been speaking about. No question. You, you feel like you deserve it. You feel like you've earned it. Yep. So yeah, yeah. Great. So I suppose if we had to close off the episode in a way, would you be able to give us maybe one or two points on how you now, away from your sport, so you're not playing basketball anymore, how you use that, that competitive greatness mantra in many ways to live your life either as the person you are as a parent or as the father as you've said of one sure. of the youngest uh, female athletes in uh, in soccer history in america yeah so i think that the the mindset that i developed and that i learned as an athlete has really benefited me the most as a parent i think it benefited me in my career um which i'm kind of semi-retired now we own our own business and it's different than the corporate job that i had but as a as somebody in the workforce and as somebody that was wanting to advance my career, you know, certainly I benefited from that mindset, from a mindset of just like, you know, nobody's better than me. Nobody's more capable than me. I'm able to do anything I want to do, you know, based on the work I'm willing to put in. It, it absolutely benefited my career. It 1000% allowed me to accomplish what I did as an athlete. And I think the greatest thing is it's, it's helped me as a parent. I, I'm always like weary of talking about, you know, the Olivia story in terms of me, because I don't want any credit. I don't, I don't, it's not me, it's her. And when her story is told, you know, 50 years from now or 20 or whatever, it's not going to be about me, but 
in an honest moment, have I been able to coach and help her understand relentless competitive greatness at a much higher level than any, you know, now 15 year old could or would understand it based on their own experience without question, without question, Olivia has benefited from having me try to impart the lessons that I personally learned on her um, so that she is ready to accomplish what she wants to accomplish. I, I don't think there's any question about that. And I hope my other two daughters are also benefiting from that because here's the thing. You don't know what you don't know. Right. And some, some lessons you can only learn through experience and some lessons you can only er, er, learn through research. And as you grow, and so it's impossible for a 15 year old to understand competition the way that, that I can at four based on my experience. But I've essentially spent every day of her life, you know, trying to help her understand what I understand at 40 um, and my other two as well. And I do think there has been a humongous benefit for them as athletes and as people based on those lessons, because you know, relentlessness, uh, you know, elite confidence, uh, work ethic. Those are things that benefit you in all areas of life, not just as an athlete. So they're benefiting my, my, my daughters now as athletes, you know, um, and I hope that later in life, it will benefit them as people in whatever they're trying to accomplish, because, you know, confidence derived from work, that's a recipe for success. I think in anything that you do. Um, and I think really our whole conversation, Gary has been about the idea that a lot of people say stuff like that. Ah, I work hard. Like there's a big difference between what you say and what the elite of the elite and the best of the best are doing. Um, and so it's really just comes down to how bad do you want something? If you want something bad enough, then you'll do the requisite work. And if your goal is big enough and you truly understand what that goal is, you'll do the requisite work and you'll understand that overcoming obstacles are, are part of it. And so I hope that, you know, my lessons and my story and what I've experienced, I, I obviously, I pray that, that those will be big benefits, you know, for my family. I, I, I in some ways I feel like what I experienced is really, you know, in some way, some greater way about helping, you know, them and, and maybe kind of going through this process with Olivia. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Because uh, one thing I want to pick up on just as we close was a statement you made there where you said that the confidence derived from hard work is a recipe for success. And I just think that's, that's, that's it's fantastic. It's, it's a, it's a mantra that not even a mantra, but it, it is a turn of phrase that has, relevant, relatable, tangible pictures that people can paint and use to hold on to and help them drive forward. And as I've said all along, the podcast is really designed to give people a platform to tell their story in the hope that it inspires others. And that quote, and I'm going to keep that one, the confidence derived from hard work. I I want you to make make a poster, Gary. It's it's in here. It's in here. The confidence (laughs) derived from hard work is recipe for success, I think is one of those those big tech-home moments that a lot of people can relate to. So I thank you for giving your time up and and jumping on today and sharing your story. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I, I, I love this stuff. 
I love talking about this stuff. It's, it's how, you know, we live our life. It's how I live my life. And so, you know, being able to verbalize it and kind of even just think through it as, as we've been talking has been really fun for me. So thanks a lot. It's not often that you find someone as dedicated and committed to the pursuit of excellence as KC. But one thing his story does show us is that success isn't possible without the willingness to put the hard yards in. I'll reiterate my favourite takeaway from the episode to make my point when Casey commented that confidence derived from hard work is a recipe for success. It's very clear that Casey's mindset and approach to life is centred around continual improvement, to reflect, to review and to work harder to become the better version of himself. It was in John Wooden's book, A Lifetime of Observations on and Off the Court, and one which I have referenced in previous episodes, and of course, episode two itself was dedicated to John Wooden, that I came across a poem. And the poem was written from a father's perspective towards their young son, and it was his first game playing in his new sport. And the first paragraph goes, This is your first game, my child. I hope you win. I hope you win for your sake, not mine, because winning's nice. It's a good feeling, like the whole world is yours. But it passes this feeling, and what lasts is what you've learned. And what you've learned is about life. As KC has mentioned, he's been able to use the mindset that he created and developed during his time at college whilst playing basketball to help him in his career within the corporate world and as a parenting tool to help guide and support Olivia towards her dream. So that's why I said at the very start in the intro that it doesn't matter if you're from a sporting background in football, in basketball, or not at all. Just just an, a lay person who likes to listen to podcasts. Everything in this podcast episode can relate to life, even though it's from a sporting perspective. As always, I'd appreciate it if you could like, share, comment, retweet, or review this episode across all of our social media platforms as we try to extend our reach to inspire others to share their story. Once again, thank you for listening and have a great week.